0: Previously on Transformers University, we jumped headfirst into Season 2 of the original Transformers cartoon series, and we continue on with less than 20 episodes to go. We are going to talk about five more right now on Transformers University. Hello my friend, and welcome to episode number 37 in a row? Of Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brutali. And in this episode, we are going to be joined by a number of special guests as we talk season two of G1, episodes 31 through 35, and that is overall episodes 47 through 51. But first, before we get into the cartoon episodes, one, I want to thank everyone who is signed up for our Patreon over at patreon.com slash tfu info. You know who you are. So big shout-out to you, and if you'd like to join up, it's less than $8 a month. Also, for those subscribed at our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash info, if you caught some of the New York Comic Con coverage here uh, last week, uh, this week there is a video up uh, kind of breaking down everything I said uh, in the last episodes. Actually, it is the last episode, but with uh, all the pictures I took from the convention of... Uh, War for Cybertron Siege and a lot of the upcoming uh, Transformers toy line and assorted other things from around the con. Also, if you're on our Patreon, did a special Patreon exclusive episode uh, talking about my experience at New York Comic Con 2018 and all the um, really cool non Transformers stuff I saw and uh, experienced while there. And in this episode, we are going to talk about. Uh, the following episodes from Generation One, we're going to talk: The Gambler, Zeke, Sea Change, Triple Takeover, and Prime Target. And uh, got a lot of special guests lined up for this episode, and a lot of cool stuff. So let's get right into it. Uh, first episode, we're going to talk about The Gambler, Season Two, Episode Thirty-One, Overall Episode Forty-Seven. Written by Michael Charles Hill. Uh, this is the first of six episodes written by Michael Charles Hill. Uh, he was the associate producer on the series, and um, for the episodes he wrote, he wrote a lot of really good ones. Um, he also wrote for GI Joe. Wrote uh, the famous episode "Cold Slither," and is credited as being an extra uh, as the as a boxing fan in the film "Raging." Bull. And to rage a bit more on this episode, I'm going to toss it over to my buddy, Gabriel Owens, the Salty Seaman.
1: Have you the latest news? Lazarus is back!
2: Hey folks, Salty Seaman here, going to review the episode The Gambler here into uh, some of the better parts of season two, and quite frankly, I'll say probably the series as a whole, Uh, you know, we all love the show, we grew up on it, you know, my nostalgia for it blinds any most of the flaws of the show, I can recognize them, but I overlook them, or just enjoy them for what they were, but there are a handful of episodes, you can always say, hey look, this is like a really good show. Maybe not even just a good Transformers episode or even a good, you know, episode of a TV's of a 80s uh, afternoon kids cartoon, but just a good episode of something. Uh, yeah, point to uh, Heavy Metal War is a fairly tight, fun, uh, solid episode. Uh, the, the Golden Lagoon is often credited as like, hey, it, it has a message, but it's not ham fisted, you know, and it's not a happy ending, you know, uh, jumping ahead to uh, season three Web World. You know, is one of the better character studies the series ever did. And another episode that gets brought up a lot is this episode, uh, which is more just, it's just strong in the sense of being a good sci-fi adventure. This is uh, one of those episodes where he, being a Transformer kind of takes a backseat to just being a character. And uh, it's one of the reasons why this episode is so well-remembered. This episode is uh, actually a direct follow-up to the last episode I reviewed, Child's Play, although it aired much later. As obvious by the, uh, it is even on a different show. Uh, I, you know, don't, unknown if they meant to run them back to back in this, you know, order of production or time or whatever caused them to uh, have a, a, slip in schedule perhaps. But regardless, this uh, we've had several episodes since, and uh, now we're getting back to. You know, at the time, we just figured they just got home, and now we find oh, there was more to the story than we thought. And uh, we start off with, again, Perceptor took a toy, a toy rocket, and through a miracle of his intellect and scientific ability, crafted a working rocket ship out of it. And when it starts having mechanical difficulties, they immediately begin crapping on poor Perceptor. Again, ignoring the fact that he built this thing, probably with no help from anybody has been keeping it, uh, flying through space. And the second there's issues, you know, they're treating him like the janitor, uh, this (laughs) poor Perceptor. Uh, so the Autobots get captured by this, uh, slave trader, uh, out in space, uh, smokescreen manages to, uh, escape getting caught in a cage, but, uh, he, uh realizes he's outgunned uh he doesn't have much chance to uh if he wants to save his autobot bros uh you know he's got to work over this uh this huckster you know slave trading uh a a gambling addict and we find out smokescreen who you know haven't had a lot of personality given stuff thus far and of course this is his big episode a bit of a rogue a bit of a, a han solo type if you will uh, he has built in uh, devices in his wrist for cheating at gambling, which goes on to a uh, part of this episode's bigger theme uh, gambling is cool, kids. It's even cooler when you cheat. Uh, so he just casually uh, shrinks down the other Autobots and keeps them in the cage, which is eerily a weird throwback to child's play and also a guy casually throwing around pretty powerful uh, weaponry. Which, again, as of this episode, this is, uh, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore. These aren't, you know, the local rubes, the humans. This is, you know, outer space. There are people the contemporary size who, you know, can put up a fight against the Autobots, which is, uh, you know, it, 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 it makes it a more interesting story. Uh, there, there's definitely a divide between the idea of Transformers on Earth, which is essentially the Autobots playing a, a game of don't trample the wildlife while well, the Decepticons don't give a crap about the wildlife. And that, that kind of becomes the, the, the forever battle there. And most anyone who writes on Transformers for any length of time eventually abandons that story, and we end up doing space stuff like this. You saw it in the comics. You saw it, we see it here, like already by season two. Uh, just, just about any time they can get away from that storyline, most people seem to choose it. And uh, you get fun episodes like this. We get a, a moment of weird size issue here as uh, uh, the uh, the slave trader guy is essentially the same size as Smokescreen. Smokescreen transforms into his normal uh, uh, car mode, but the guy just gets in with no problem. Uh, this is, of course, a long-standing uh, just weirdness of the scale and exactly how it works in Transformers. This one's just straight up cheating, really. We get a nice little uh, name drop to one of the sci-fi uh, godfathers, Isaac Asimov.
1: But, but, do see Asimov over in the Ted Quadrant.
2: Uh, very, obviously, the writer's having a lot of fun with this episode, which uh, part of its charm is, you know, the, the effort obviously put into this on the writing side. Now, I had to look it up. I, I wasn't catching uh, the character's name. It is Bosch. We uh, also first meet Slizardo here, who, uh, strangely enough, uh, would become a somewhat recurring character in the third season. Uh, of all the characters you think would become recurring, he he was an oddball and actually had, like, you know, a continuity tie back to season two. It was, it, it was quite interesting, especially for uh, this show. So we get to... Uh, Smokescreen's going to use his little uh, gambling cheating device to... Uh, you know rip off the casino other to save his uh all about friends from robot slavery uh pretty funny little scene it's i it i've never it's it's a slot machine but it's like he's betting money against it like it's blackjack or poker i don't know how this game works but for some reason they use the uh card symbols like you would see on a Hoyle deck so that that's fun as well but he gets by one of the underlings of the casino boss catches him cheating and Basically, he breaks the bank and loses all his money. Uh, In all honesty, he gets off pretty lightly for getting caught cheating. Uh, Imagine the scene in Casino where Ace Rothstein catches the two card cheats, you know, and then that stuff still goes on in Vegas to this day. Uh, So, yeah, he gets off a little light here. So the Autobots uh, are being fed to the Lions essentially, uh, the old Gladiator combat uh, plot line. Uh, it's cool remember Optimus Prime is one of these guys, and he's just basically there, which is really fun the fact that you know despite having like the the big hitter like Optimus in the technically in the story, he essentially is about- he's i mean it it's all about uh smoke and the character we're getting to, and the uh the b plot we see astro land on a planet on a rocky planet of some sort, dirge and ramjet walk off. Uh, and then we we first meet uh character who only shows up once but became a, a huge uh, fan favorite and has now shown up many, se- several times since, uh, Devcon, which, uh, interesting, uh, not even a point of contention originally, it was assumed the pronunciation of his name isn't great in the episode, and most heard DEFCON, which makes sense. You know, you think DEFCON 1, DEFCON 2 is a... You know, nuclear—the uh, nuclear threat levels of the United States. It's, it's a cool transformerish name. Devcon really doesn't kind of mean anything, uh, but uh, I believe the script for this episode was around and like no one had really picked up on it. It wasn't until I believe the 2005 uh, Botcon comics where Devcon shows up in print for the first time, and they explicitly use that spelling. And there, there was a backlash; a lot of people refused to accept. That as his official name for a very probably to this day, uh insisting in the episode they it's Herod as DEF Devcon that's what it is. Dagnam it! I'll hear no more about it. But he is officially Devcon. So we get a uh, Devcon's backstory. Of course, he is an Autobot. He's wearing the symbol. He uh, bonds a smoke screen. It's been a while since he's seen one, a fellow Autobot. But basically, he's a bounty hunter, uh, and he was following. The, uh, the cone heads for, uh, to collect a bounty on, I'm, I'm assuming every Decepticon in the universe probably has a bounty on them somewhere, considering their uh, implied track record. Now, here's a really interesting point. In fact, uh, Dirge and Ramjet uh, come to uh, shake down this uh, mob boss. And we find out there's someone even more sleazier in the galaxy than this casino uh, mob boss character. And it is, in fact, Megatron which is uh, which is a great great little bit they never to my knowledge follow up anything on this as megatron being involved in like vice and you know it makes sense especially for his character like it's kind of a uh, so like they, it's like a protection racket which totally makes sense uh something for megatron to do and it certainly seems to work he, he seems to be more successful at it than he is uh most of the time, he tries to steal energy off Earth, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a really you know, just a fun little bit stuff, and you wouldn't even think about Megatron. It's another just bit why this episode is so great, and it, it's so rich and so many so much good stuff comes out of this episode. You know, I just I can't I can't rave about it enough. I uh, I also shouldn't fail to mention. Uh, the, uh, the form of currency here is Energon chips, which uh, establishes in the cartoon universe that Energon is not just the Autobots' fuel it's, or the Transformers' fuel. It seems to be kind of a universal fuel and currency, which uh, makes a lot of sense, and it's a bit of interesting world-building. Uh, you know, I believe pretty much everywhere else, Energon ends up just being a Transformer-specific fuel. So I, I actually kind of like this interpretation better. So we end up with a, a hilarious scene to me. They throw in uh, Optimus Prime, who, uh, you know, going by this, you know, we kind of grasp is probably one of the greatest heroes in the galaxy. Uh, you know, he, he would be a well-known figure, one would assume. Uh, no fanfare, he's just a Autobot. So that, that, that's kind of funny in, in in of itself. Uh, we also see people uh, taking bets mid-fight. When Prime starts uh, whooping some butt, and I think that's a thing you can do. And I'm really not a gambling guy, but it just seems excessive. Like, you know, at some point, all bets are, you know, all bets are off, all bets close, at right? So who's take? there's some weird side action going on there. So Smokescreen's seen enough of the matches, even though he seemed to be enjoying himself. Again, it's kind of giving him a, a roguish aspect, you know. But uh, but eventually he's like, he's seen enough, he's going to, he drives out of the, uh, he, he walks out of the arena and drives back into the entrance where the uh, the fight's going on and, uh, you know, a uh, special power alert here, uh, I think it's one of the couple times we do see Smokescreen use his special ability, which of course is uh, that of creating screens of smoke. The uh, Everyone starts coughing, it's all chaos. Uh, people of course start robbing the money till because this guy has not got it locked up nor has any decent security. I mean, you can't really feel for these guys They're, they're no wonder Megatron's riding his butt. He's pretty incompetent as a uh, smokescreen and uh Bosch are escaping. Uh, the, uh, Lord slash casino boss, uh, send, uh, Dirge and, uh, Ramjet over to, uh, to stop them. They end up, we end up in a chase. Uh, they end up blowing, uh, Smokescreen out of the street, he turns over, he's a wreck. And we get just a little bit of a bromance here, uh, Ramjet's like, let's finish him together. And it's just, it's said with such love and, uh, you know, there's so much going on in this episode, just so many little fun bits. And of course, uh, DevCon comes in for the save. We also see the, uh, the Coneheads uh, know DevCon by sight and are scared crapless of him uh it's one of those things is like you know why is Optimus Prime not recruited this guy yet And better yet why we never see him again uh so there's a reason he becomes a favorite character he is the epitome of cool especially you know to a you know nine-year-old me or you know millions of other kids watching you know I really really love this episode however DevCon has to uh Explain to Botch what Decepticons are. While elsewhere they seem to be a fairly known, well-known commodity. It's it, the, it there's there is some inconsistency here. You know, in fact that you know Megatron's name kind of you know shakes people's knees, but then this guy doesn't know what a Decepticon is. And it's also uh, kind of a running thing in here is you know the very idea that there are two separate species, the uh, Decepticons and Autobots, because they're rarely do we hear them use the proper term for their race as a whole, Transformers, in the show called Transformers. I think you can count on both hands the amount of time they ever use that term, which is, you know, I think Ann has talked about before, and it's something we could probably go into in, in greater detail. But, yeah, it just the, the, that was a weird bit of exposition no one needed, and it made him look really, really dumb. I, I, I don't, I, never I didn't get that little bit. So, we get a battle of the Autobots are uh, zombies, basically. Uh, yeah, the, the, the way these 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 alien races can like really, you know, incapacitate Transformers is a, a, a kind of a big reveal in the uh, the story arc as a whole. But uh, regardless, they they are loading up Astrotrain with all this energon, uh, Devcon and Botch and Smokescreen show up uh, to uh, fight for them. Uh, we, we get Slizardo switching sides, and uh, this will not be the last master we see Slizardo serve. Uh, and there's a really, really bad animation error where a botch is coming forward and Slizardo is, I guess, supposed to be fading into the background, and the cell is just really, really off. You know mostly when I'm watching these, I'm kind of watching uh, trying not to really notice the, you know, animation mistakes. there's always a bunch, but that one was just really, really bad, kind of stuck out to me a uh, fun bit astro train names his uh gun
1: now prepare to meet my friend mr Ionic displacer
2: unfortunately the uh the tech spec does not say mr which it, i totally should but i remember hearing that line and going actually going to check my tech spec uh of astro train which i had laying handy near me on my desk and sure enough that is the correct gun he was carrying I for some reason as a kid that tickled me. Uh we get uh the Smokescreen uh once again uses his power, uh runs the Decepticons off, uh the Autobots are saved. Uh we get a big reveal here. It was kinda weird. Earlier in the uh the episode, uh Smokescreen uh transforms to of course cover better ground, trying to get back to uh save the Autobots, and DEF just kind of runs behind him. And it seems kind of weird since we see at the end he has an alt mode. He is a uh, almost a sweepish, uh, Scourge-ish kind of space shuttle. But they didn't. They they held off on that reveal to the end for I'm assuming on purpose. Which is kind of weird. But uh, he ends up taking uh, Slizardo with him. They become uh, partners. We assume. Unfortunately, we never see them again. Uh, well, we see. We never see Devcon again. We do see Slizardo again. But uh spoilers, it's uh apparently something went wrong there. But uh we kinda cut back and the Autobots are just kinda laughing and joking with Botch, a known slave trader I, I cannot stress this enough. But uh so much so uh, uh Optimus agrees to take the Autobots on a what we assume is a hangover esque debauched time in this uh I can't remember. It's a takeoff of the name Monaco. Uh, Very fitting. Uh, Man, this is just such a good episode. I just, you know, and then I'm not alone. This is, you know, you ask any, pull any Transformer fans their favorite G1 episodes. This is a consistent top 10, if not top 5 episodes. I honestly could watch a a spinoff with Smokescreen, Botch, Slizardo, and DevCon every week. It would have been... Just going to different sleazy locales and just being a bunch of rogues, I would have absolutely loved it. Uh, I I could go on and on, but I already have. So uh, back back over to you, Ant.
0: And don't forget, you can catch Gabe on his YouTube channel, youtube.com slash recharge138 for the Salty man. You can also catch him on Twitter at Gabe, G-A-B-E, 138. And Gabe brings up some good points here about just the world building aspect alone uh as far as the season two stuff goes this is a good period right here these five episodes in terms of world building uh one of the things he didn't mention and, and this goes to the world building aspect of this episode no megatron uh second and uh final time we will have a episode before season three that does not have megatron involved in it uh and so, you know, that that goes to show that there was more out there, that the writers were building a bit of a rogues gallery, and I really, I really dig that aspect. And some of these episodes uh, that we're going to cover today are varying in quality, but they all kind of follow that through line of Megatron is not the only risk to the Autobots and to uh, this world that the Transformers live in. A couple of other notes about this episode. Actually, a lot of notes about this episode that I have, uh, but not particularly story-related. Going back to the writing of this episode, this episode was written by Michael Charles Hill, and he actually converted this script from an episode of Challenge of the Gobots, an episode called Game World that he had originally done for that series. And uh, there's some stark similarities to this. They're not... David Wise level of similarities, but there are similarities, uh, such as uh, the Gobots start off this episode in a space battle and uh, begin to have their power drained from their ship and then are captured by someone from the game's world who uh, brings them to an evil lord who rules over the world and decides to pit the Renegades and Guardians in a gladiatorial combat Uh, so there there's certainly a huge similarity between the two episodes they're not exactly the same there's not repeated lines a la David Wise but there are um, a lot of set pieces and scenery that feel very much the same also worth note of this episode are the New characters and people we meet within this episode, as Gabe uh, mentioned, Devcon, uh, one of the uh, more mysterious Autobots that has uh, had legend grow around him over the years. And uh, according to Michael Charles Hill, that uh, that character is somewhat inspired by Boba Fett from the um, Star Wars films. Also, a little more from Michael Charles Hill, and there's a great interview on the Cybertron Chronicle. Uh, with Michael Charles Hill about this episode and all of the other episodes he wrote, uh, but we will focus on this one. If you want to find out a bit more and see the exact quotes, uh, Google that up because uh, there's a lot of cool stuff there. Uh, Slizardo uh, is a character inspired sort of by Peter Lorre. Uh, so not only Cosmos's voice, as we mentioned in a previous episode, but also Slizardo himself, inspired by Peter Laurie Bosch. Uh, was named after a brand of spark plugs that Michael Charles Hill had, uh, just picked up. (laughs) So, uh, if you're familiar with Bosch auto parts, uh, that's where the name comes from. And Lord Geikini, who is the, uh, the Lord of uh, this, uh, world who's paying uh, money to Megatron. Uh, there's an interesting story there behind his name. Everyone in the show says his name wrong. It's actually Lord Geikoni, um, and the name is an amalgamation uh so hill was hanging out a lot with uh flint dilly uh who is a uh, the uh, uh writer on transformers and we'll talk a little bit about him in one of the upcoming episodes but uh also a writer on gi joe uh him and flint dilly were hanging out a lot at david gygax's mansion now david gygax is the creator of Dungeons & Dragons. So they were hanging out a lot at his place back when uh, they were writing these episodes. So the name is actually a combination of David Gygax's last name, that's the guy, and David Marconi, who is a writer also on G.I. Joe, wrote G.I. Joe the movie. Uh, so the name should be Guy Coney, but everyone in the show says Gygony. And that takes us to the next episode in this batch, and that is season two, episode 32, overall episode 48, Creme Zeke, written by David Wise. And there is an exclamation point at the end of Krem Zeke. Uh, and this one is definitely a David Wise specialty. Uh, we will get into that a little later on. This episode starts with uh, Megatron working on something in a lab. Uh, Starscream is nagging him, and then out comes Creme Uh, who speaks by saying his name. Uh, So technically makes him the first Pokemon. Uh, He's an energy creature, and he infects computers. And Megatron has decided that this is all he needs.
1: Yes, Kremzik! You will be my ultimate weapon against the Autobots!
0: So Megatron places Kremzik into a circuit trap, Uh, That's what he calls it. And he flies inside of Thrust uh, to drop off the package uh, at the Autobot base. Uh, It's interesting seeing Megatron fly inside one of the secret jets. I don't think we've ever seen that before, and I'm not sure we'll ever see it again. Uh, By dropping him at the base, uh, Kremzik attacks the Ark and the Autobots. Uh, One of those Autobots is Jazz, but he is not being voiced by Scatman Carruthers. Uh, In this episode, he is being voiced by voice director Wally Burr.
1: Maybe this will slow it down so we can find out.
0: Uh, Kremzik, being an electricity monster, attacks the Autobots and makes them incoherent for the most part. Uh, At this point, Sparkplug figures out that he can spray Optimus with an insulating compound, aka fire retardant foam, and keep him from being infected. But over the course of... This scene, Kremzik realizes he can infect Teletran 1 and does so to some amazing results. Uh, Alert! Alert! Evil Martian Uh, flingos have invaded supermarkets across the planet. They have come to steal Earth's ammonia. And via Teletran 1 and the Sky Spy, Kremzik takes a quick trip to Japan.
1: Japan!
0: So, Bumblebee, Optimus, Inferno. Blaster hop aboard Omega Supreme. Finally, they decide not to drive across an ocean and fly into Japan. Japan. When they get to Japan, they find Kremzik and he infects Omega Supreme before infecting a train uh, that is driving into the, the city. And uh, Optimus decides to transform and drive on the tracks to try to catch Kremzeek with Inferno Bumblebee and Blaster on top but not inside. Uh, that's odd, especially since he had his trailer. Uh, the people in Japan in this episode actually speak in Japanese, though uh, according to TF Wiki, it is spoken very poorly. And then Kremzik um, makes his way around, I guess it's Tokyo, and um, enters a factory when the Autobots meet Dr. Soji Yoshikawa, who uh, is a character that will show up not more in the Generation 1 cartoon, but he does show up in other series down the line. Uh, he realizes you can use radio waves to stop Kremsik, and they trap him inside of Blaster. But being trapped inside of Blaster with the radio waves actually spawns multiple Kremsiks in varying colors. The Kremsiks attack Tokyo, and uh, meanwhile the Decepticons are developing an energy magnet to drain power. Uh, the Autobots lure Kremzik to a power station and end up making one giant Krem-Ziek. Uh The Decepticons then drain all the power from Tokyo using this energy magnet, and Blaster has an idea to send Kremzeek to the energy magnet. And Optimus Prime, he's kind of a jerk about it.
1: Blaster, you finally came up with a plan.
0: So the Autobots send Kremzeek back to the Decepticons, and he destroys the Magnet. The Autobots realize they need to destroy Kremzeek, even though he is a living thing to Optimus and Bumblebee in particular. Uh, They feel bad, but they know they must destroy Kremzeek, so they fire their weapon that they've built with Dr. Yoshikawa to destroy Kremzeek and do so. Uh, And then as they're reminiscing about Kremzeek, another small Kremzeek emerges from blaster's chest and we start all over again and that is the famed episode of kremzeek now there's a bit of a legacy to this episode the kremzeek uh character did get an official little toy with the original masterpiece megatron in japan uh he also exists inside of the current. Um, mobile game Transformers Earth Wars as a power-up feature and exists in multiple colors in that game and each color Kremzeek does something a little different. And this being a David Wise episode means we're wise. And so this Kremzeek energy monster idea is one of the things that is a big piece of David Wise's bag-o-tricks as a writer. And oh boy, has he used this concept many, many times. Uh, If you recall back to the beginning of uh, season two, we covered an episode called Day of the Machines where uh, David Wise recycled part of a Masters of the Universe script that he had written previously, also called Day of the Machines. But that episode also included an energy monster that went inside of the computer system, much like... Kremzik but it doesn't stop there now he did reuse this uh, in an episode of Defenders of the Earth in 1986 uh, where a computer is infected with uh, a quote-unquote demon and just like Teletran one starts babbling incoherently
3: one moment one moment (laughs) Oh, the mountains. Oh, the sea. Crimson. Sometimes like
4: fire.
1: Dynak, what are you talking about? It appears our Dynak has fallen prey to this computer demon as well.
0: But the comparisons don't end there. Uh, (laughs) David Wise also reused this in an episode of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and an episode of The Mighty Ducks the episodes in question uh for tmnt is called the big zip attack whereas the mighty ducks episode is called zap attack uh both involve uh, a creature for tmnt it's a little alien uh known as a zip uh that eats things eats metal and then multiplies and in uh, uh zap attack it's an energy creature That eventually multiplies, and of course, they have to find a way to bring it back. And uh, so, let's do a little comparison. So, in the Transformers episode, this is what it sounds like when the Autobots lure Kremzik to the power station and he forms a bigger Kremzik. Here they
1: come! Oh no! Cut. Cut the power!
3: Maybe this wasn't such a good idea!
0: And this is what it sounds like when the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles lure Zip to a chocolate factory to recombine. Via eating a chocolate bar.
1: Here they come! Go get it, fellas! Well, you found something those dudes really dig! Yeah, and I
4: bet
5: they don't even save us a bite. There's more to it than that. Watch!
1: Uh, They're getting it together! Uh Uh-oh! I'm beginning to
6: think this was a big mistake. A big mistake? I'd call it a King Kong-sized
4: mistake!
0: And this is how... The Mighty Ducks get their energy creature back in the Zap Attack episode. And... Listen to the device that they use
1: to do so. What's that? My energy magnet. You know that? Track those little creatures like candy. <laughs>
3: Turbocharged
0: King Kong on our hands. Oh, but the similarities don't end there. All right, let's jump right to the end of the episode. Here's how the episode for Transformers ends in Zeke.
1: Yeah, now that that little creep is out of our hair, maybe we can start getting things back to normal. He may have been a little creep, but you know what? <laughs> I can't help missing him somehow. What the Oh no
0: And here is how the episode ends for the Ninja Turtles.
4: But you know, all the same, I'm gonna
1: miss those little dudes, not me. I'm gonna forget about them and get back to my practicing. Huh?. <laughs>
0: and here is how the episode ends for the mighty ducks
1: well at least we're rid of all
0: those energy
5: creatures
6: oh no not again this show's gonna turn into a rerun of
2: itself
0: oh that david wise he is quite the sneaky one uh so, Weisenheimers, we're going to move on to the third episode we're covering in this edition of Transformers University, and that is Sea Change Season 2, Episode 33, overall Episode 49, written by Douglas Booth, who we've talked about many times on this show. Uh, it is a bizarre episode, but again, it is another one uh, that involves some serious world-building. And for more, I'm going to toss this over to my pals over at the Stasis Pod podcast. All right, hello, I'm Rob.
6: I'm Jen.
4: And I'm David.
5: And uh, we're the crew from Stasis Pod uh, here to talk about Sea Change, a mm. an episode that I went to remembering <laughs> that it was pretty goofy, and I was correct that yeah. it is very goofy, but it's also deeply, deeply weird. I mean, it it is about... It brings up... It is about s- a robot. It's concepts and ideas and body horror, it's... It's about bizarre. a robot who is willing to commit suicide to prove that he has a soul.
6: Yeah. I mean, yeah.
5: So, yeah, so the uh, in a nutshell, the episode is about um, a Decepticon-controlled uh, planet that is full of vaguely Aztec elf people.
6: As they tend to be.
4: The Aztec. Toltec, kind of, but they're they're named after an actual group of... Or or an actual Aztec god, kind of. It's spelled different, though.
5: Yes, uh, Tlaloc. They're the Tlalocons. Yes. And they are ruled by a fat-ass Decepticon computer. Deceptitran.
6: I mean, he's kind of mojo-ish. Like, a sad, sad, sad mojo. He's
4: just this spherical gray and purple ball with two Dr. Octopus tentacles who has a weird accent like so many characters in Transformers and G1. So
5: uh, so the the Autobots go to help these people out. Um, chief among them, Sea who I always liked as a kid because I had his action figure. And uh, who is weird because he's the romantic lead on this show, but he also sounds like he's constantly gargling.
6: Yeah, so I think it's interesting like... The first year of G1 the writers had this whole thing where they would like give the characters superpowers because I guess they were comic book writers. Season 2 you got all these new characters who had weird voice stuff going on. Yeah. And it's pretty unique to season 2. Uh
5: bunch of bunch of old actor impressions, uh foreign accents.
6: And then
4: reverb on top of it, like the weird bubbling and thing, and the whole Cosmos situation, who's sort of. Wait, was Cosmos the one that sounded sort of like Peter Laurie?
5: He sounds exactly like Peter Laurie.
6: <laughs> exactly.
4: Yeah, but his entire purpose in this episode is just transport.
6: Speaking of Cosmos, though, he gets an episode that is not unlike this called The God Gambit, uh, which yes. is another episode mm. in which they end up on another planet with. Like with space some, elves, some yeah, space elves. More space it's I weird. The... I don't know why that's such a thing that keeps happening.
5: Well, well because, because we can always Star draw Trek. people, so we're just drawing people with pointy ears.
6: Yeah, we're, we're just drawing Mr.
4: Spock only without shirts in this episode, dressed yeah. all dressed the same, like Aztecs, and, and it, there's a war and things. But it, it's like, but a anyway, the, the sea
5: change. A, sea change of the title refers to the what is it, the pool of transformation, yes. which the natives yep. can use to change themselves like from like people with legs to like mermaids. And yeah, but
4: the way they talk about the implication is like they're broken down at the atomic level into nothing but their their mind and their soul and they just create a new body in the pool.
5: Yeah, it, so it's we, very so, weird. So we see a bunch of like m- like drones get in there and they just blow up and so sea spray uh you know he wants to go in there and uh, this this lady Alana who is kind of like, get, they're kind of, like, kind of having a thing.
6: Yeah, and also, so so we didn't specify, just going off generally about second season G1 characters, See, Spray specifically just sounds like he's gargling all the time. Oh, yeah. Which I remember was yeah. a lot of fun when I was a kid at the pool. <laughs>
5: <laughs> but yeah, um, it,
6: it doesn't make for a great romantic leave.
5: Yeah, so Seaspray, he's going to get in there. She's all, no, wait, no, you'll, you're like, you're a robot, you'll die. And he's all, no, I, I have a soul, I will prove my, I will prove it, and I will go in here. And indeed, he does have a soul, because he just turns into, like, a white dude.
6: Yeah, he turns into a sexy elf man himself.
5: Who is also constantly gargling.
6: Yes. <laughs> yes, his voice
4: doesn't change. And then, and then later does. on,
5: she uses the pool to turn herself into a robot. Yes. And that robot can turn into a wooden boat. <laughs>
6: I mean it's not actually wooden but it's the style of boat that would be and it's like, brown a, okay it's yeah a primitive she, boat.
4: like i guess that's their planned their species pool magic stuff bleeding over to transforming outside of, it's this episode is so bizarre
5: and yes. speaking of wood they also trick rumble into going into this and turning himself into <laughs> a horrifying tree man
4: <laughs> yep body horror yes. body horror but that's Ah, uh, that—that's a weird thing I remember for some old Hercules movie where some priestess turns men into trees. and yeah, weird that, body. They did that on yeah, uh, Mystery Science Fiction Three, uh, Mystery
5: Science Theater Three Thousand.
6: Well, they do it by they—they hmm. they knock him into the pool, and when he's all dissolving, they're—they're they're specifically like think of a tree so they like actively trick him into specifically turning turning into a tree by telling him that to survive he has to imagine himself as a tree so that's kind of cruel
5: and it works because he's as dumb as an actual tree (laughs) yes Hmm. but anyway in the end we, we learn an important uh lesson about interrelational inter- relationships because Seaspray decides he, he prefers to be a robot instead of a dude and she prefers to be a lady instead of a robot lady but uh, hey they, they still uh, they can still have a thing and I think doesn't she ex- explicitly say like I love you
4: yeah it's like in 20 minutes they go from just meeting to in romance because Seaspray made a wish upon a falling star
5: <laughs> oh no the, the first star of
4: evening
6: chick, I guess same difference also there's there's a theme that crosses between even like the cartoon and the comic books and everything is that any any autobot who ends up with a humanoid girlfriend is a total dork only absolute (laughs) losers because there's him there's power glide there's arguably sludge in the UK comics. I mean, I guess there's Ultra Magnus, but I, you could kind well, of say that at times you he's kind of a loser. You
4: can't say that because there's also skids in the comic.
6: Uh, Skids kind of is a, a huge dork. He is a huge dork. I mean, I love him. I guess It's not to say. Compared
5: to the rest of them, it's unlikable
6: not much. characters. It's just to say non-cool <laughs> characters.
5: I would argue that Seaspray would be cool if he didn't sound like Merman from Masters of the Universe. That's possible. <laughs>
6: yes, that's possible.
5: <laughs> I mean, he's kind of a badass in this episode.
6: Yeah, he does cool yeah. things like turning into. An elf man, except he forgot how to do it all the way, so he ends up with boat feet.
5: <laughs> anyway, I- anyway,
4: so so th- this is my favorite version of Splash, better than the actual Splash movie. <laughs> so much fair. though that once uh, I think it was for a forum drawing contest or something, I actually drew this episode in the style of the Splash poster.
6: <laughs> <laughs> nice
4: turned out really good for, for something I drew like a decade ago. I'm still I'm not that unhappy with it. It doesn't annoy my eyes like a lot of other old drawings.
5: Uh, and anyway, so uh, so at the end they 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 reprogrammed Deceptitran, who I guess also is not like an actual transformer, just like a computer.
6: Yeah, he's I and, guess uh, some sort of like Decepticon drone thing.
5: I mean, I guess he's he's like the telet- he's like the evil version of Teletran. Yeah, who I unfortunately so that. does not just sound like evil Casey Kasem.
6: Alas.
4: Oh, and the reason he's on the planet is to collect energon. Or he just, like, sucks the of, energon I out mean, of these people. Yeah.
6: Which, I mean... Which is weird. I mean, that's sort of the same kind of thing Megatron's trying to
4: do. Or uh,
5: just, or like uh, like the Matrix. Yeah, but,
4: but, like, didn't Megatron do that to Dr. Archiville and it, uh, like, s- didn't fill up an entire cube?
5: I mean, uh, that was probably because that was Starscream and it didn't work because Starscream is a doof.
6: And also, these people are larger because naturally, as happens with these episodes, the humanoid space people are actually transformer sized.
5: Because scale is hard.
6: Because reasons, <laughs> yes. Scale Let's is so. hard. Is probably so.
5: What it so is. then we, we end. Uh, you know, they're they're going on a little boat ride together, and uh, Bumblebee, uh, who was around at the beginning of the episode, is also sort of making a wish on that uh, that first star of evening, which I kind of like. The endings that they always do on G one, sort of the the sort of melancholy uh, instrumental music, I I always kind of hmm. dig that.
6: You mean like like at the end of the Golden Lagoon?
5: Yes. Oh yes, yes. that's
4: yeah, that's the weirdest. I mean, ending. it's
5: it's definitely preferable to the Hanna Barbera. Everybody laughs at a joke that isn't particularly funny.
4: <laughs> yes. Yeah, we don't need to go go-bots on this. <laughs> uh,
6: go
5: bots. Uh, so yes, this this is a very silly episode that is. Somehow, well, it's not exactly worthy of the Shakespeare quote it is named after.
6: <laughs> it's, it's charming mm. enough. It's, it is it is very that, charming, and it's so weird, weird. It's that weird sort <laughs> of trying to be sci-fi thing that some episodes in season two and then a lot of season three did.
5: Yeah, it's trying to be sci-fi, but yeah, it but also kind of has magic.
6: Yeah, yeah it, it
4: ends up being complete fantasy and ends with, like, fan bait. It's screaming for fanfic to fill in the (laughs) blanks
5: afterwards. Yes.
0: Uh, So, yeah, that is Sea Change. It sure is. And you can catch the gang from Stasis Podcast anywhere you hear this show. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and more. Uh, And you can find them on Twitter at StasisPod. And, you know, just to put my thoughts on Sea Change real quick. Uh, I like that episode. It's, it's, it is it's weird and it is crazy, but I think that's one of those ones that often gets forgotten when people talk about season two. Uh, it's not necessarily a good episode because it's a good story. It's more of a good episode because it's crazy. And uh, just to tag one thing here, C. Spray's girlfriend, Alana, um, there's a little bit of a legacy there with her. She is mentioned a few times in the Transformers Earth Wars mobile game and the latest sea spray toy from the titan's return line features the word alana tattooed on the inside of his forearm in cybertronian and moving from somewhat crazy to absolutely bananas we're gonna go to the next episode triple takeover that's season two episode 34 overall episode number 50 written by larry strauss who we've talked about in a previous episode he is the son of mrs garrett charlotte ray uh this one starts with the decepticons uh blitzwing astrotrain and starscream carving faces into the side of a mountain similar to mount rushmore and the four faces they carve up there are their own plus megatron eventually they all shoot megatron's face into a snarling uh mouth frown thing and then uh The two triple changers convince Starscream that they are going to help him overthrow Megatron. Uh, Starscream leads Megatron into a tunnel that leads to a secret Autobot power station. And Ashtrain and Blitzwing freeze Megatron and Starscream, because they double-crossed him too, uh, to absolute zero. Blitzwing decides to roll into a football stadium and make it his headquarters. Uh... (laughs) There are a bunch of bizarre scenes with uh, the football coach and players uh, not knowing what to do. And when the quarterback sees Blitzwing, he asks his coach what to do and he tells him to throw him the ball, which then Blitzwing catches in his tank turret and fires into the scoreboard, which then registers two points. So shooting the scoreboard changes the score And Blitzwing is up to nothing. Blitzwing then decides he's going to recruit this coach.
1: You are a great military strategist. You will be my second in command. Sorry, I've got a contract. Contracts like traitors are made to be broken.
0: Over to AstroTrain, who takes over a train station as AstroTrain HQ and attempts to recruit actual trains. Uh, and decides so by trying to give them uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, back to Blitzwing, who puts his coach at his quote-unquote desk inside of a locker in the locker room. Uh, he asks the coach for some advice, one of which is to build a zone defense, which Blitzwing does by recruiting the Constructicons to build a maze, And then, uh, the other bit of advice is to use the long bomb, which Blitzwing does by shooting bombs out of the stadium and into the city. The Autobots then attempt to stop Blitzwing, Prowl, Skids, Blue Streak and Tracks all, uh, head into the zone defense where Blitzwing, uh, deals them a literally crushing defeat as he does drive over a lot of them, flattening them out, uh, Blitzwing continues to rack up a score by shooting the scoreboard back over to Astrotrain. Astrotrain attempts to steal energy with his uh, artificially intelligent trains that he is calling Astroforce. And I'm presuming the results of Astroforce are still way better than Space Force. Scrapper then builds a throne for Blitzwing out of the defeated autobots jenny call back to his tech spec which his text spec quote reads my work is a monument to and of my enemies and within the uh text of his text spec uh says quote shows his true malevolent genius by incorporating defeated autobots into his building structures so there you have it a uh, nice callback to the toy bio um back at astrotrain Couple of the seekers are making fun of Astrotrain and Astroforce, which then crashes into a water main in the tunnel. That water main then unfreezes Megatron and Starscream. Megatron, not happy with Starscream, and Starscream once again observant of the situation.
1: You are either lying or you're stupid. It's-
0: The water from the water main then floods the city. That is one hell of a water main. Uh, It nearly kills Spike, who is rescued by Optimus Prime, who decides it's a good idea when rescuing someone out of water to blow air conditioning on them. Trailbreaker, who's hanging out on top of the building, uh, decides to use his force field to hold off the flood, and Optimus and Ironhide uh, fix the pipe by freezing it shut uh, with some liquid nitrogen. Blitzwing, uh, back at the stadium, has uh, tallied up a score of 1,569 to 0, and the Constructicons want their cut from Blitzwing as he had promised them a share in the lead of the Decepticons. He forms Devastator, and Optimus leads Megatron and Starstream back to the stadium. Trailbreaker then sends uh, the trains of Astroforce, to uh, the stadium as well via his force field and the Seekers fly there as water floods the stadium. The Autobots just decide to hang back and watch the Decepticons duke it out and Megatron resumes command but Devastator still wants to lead. Eventually Megatron will win and the Decepticons will head back to base. The Autobots hail Optimus and the four that were built into a throne decide to form a throne for Optimus but that does not suit optimus's tastes
1: thrones are for decepticons besides i'd rather roll
0: and from that decepticon focused episode we return one more time to uh an episode that does expand on the rogues gallery that the autobots would face on earth in season two and that is prime target which is season two episode 35 overall episode 51 written by buzz dixon and flint Dilly. Uh, and this would be Dilly's first episode of Transformers that he would write, but he would also go on to write several episodes in season three and was the story consultant for the first three seasons and Transformers, the movie. And here, Flint Dilly shares his method to approaching a Transformers script and making it a bit different from what everyone else was handing it.
1: I tended to write weird episodes because I edited so many normal ones that I I was always trying to write an episode that went and did something that uh, other episodes, you know, didn't do. I remember Jay Bacall calling one time and saying, hey, you know, I'd like to see a Joe episode where they don't blow up the Cobra headquarters at the end, you know. So, you know, that's, you know, we did two like that. And, you know,
0: one of those Joe episodes that he did like that was called The Games Master, uh, which many of you might know as the uh, Baroness in a Bikini episode. Uh, that was also written by Flint Dilly, and there are a lot of scenes that are very similar from that episode to this episode of Transformers. And for more on that, I'm going to toss it over to one of our students at the TFU.info Patreon uh, podcaster in his own right, Jason Kirk. The Transformers Generation 1 Season 2 Episode Prime Target
3: probably isn't the worst episode of the series, but it might be the most ridiculous. This entire episode defies logic, ignores physics, and features some very obvious animation errors. There are also some really odd edits, which must drive Ant crazy, and some spots where sound effects and even dialogue are completely missing. It's kind of a mess, really. A lovable mess, but a mess nonetheless. The story was written by Flint Dilly and Buzz Dixon. Wait. The guy who wrote the God Gambit wrote this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! Lord Chumley is a big game hunter who wants to finish his collection with the head of Optimus Prime. No, seriously. Dude has a placard on his wall that says Optimus Prime with the words, Mount Head Here on it. So how does he plan to lure Prime to his castle? Yes, I said castle. By capturing other Autobots to force Prime to come and rescue them so Chumley can capture Prime. And how does he capture the other Autobots? Well... Bumblebee and Trax are captured using hologram decoys of Blitzwing and Astro Train. Jazz is electrocuted in a car wash, but not a car wash of doom. Beachcomber is captured when he pays to get on a toll bridge. Grapple is captured in a physics-defying cage of fallen steel beams. Crazy pills! Inferno is wrapped up by a fire hose while trying to rescue a fake child from a burning building. And Blaster is literally folded up into his boombox mode by a giant pair of hands that come out of a billboard he is standing below.
1: What is going on here?
3: I don't no. Through it all, Chumley is helped by his faithful butler Dinsmore, who I can assure you does not have the butler skills necessary to place him in the pantheon of butler greats, such as Pennyworth, Duckworth, and Igor. Even Igor thinks it's silly. Dinsmore also tries to capture Huffer by drilling into the back of his alt mode, but Huffer leaves before he can do that. And while that's extreme, Chumley fails to capture Windcharger when he attempts to hit him with a speeding train. <laughs> Oh my god! Wow! Ah! Listen to that horn! And all this happens in like the first 8 or 9 minutes. There has to be a fascinating story behind the script. Well, either that or was just a product of Hollywood in the 80s. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. We also see a little bit of a dark side to Prime. While he never hurts Chumley, he is threatening him the whole time and even straight up tries to kill a monster Chumley sends after him. Maybe that darker version of Prime we got in the live-action movies was more accurate than we thought. Uh, maybe not. I won't go on much longer because I want Ant to have a chance to chime in on this one, but I do recommend everyone go back and watch this one if you haven't in a while. Believe me when I say it is far more crazy than you remember, and also probably makes far less sense than you remember but it did give us one of the best lines ever spoken by Optimus Prime. What is with you? Yeah, that one's pretty good, but not quite. Sorry, my bad. Oh, God, no.
1: Amazing. A booby trap that actually catches boobies.
3: Yep, that's the one. Sure wish I had one of those in high school, am I right? So while there's some truly ridiculous stuff in this episode, at least it doesn't do anything crazy like have a girl fall in love with a robot. They save that for the next episode. Now if you'll excuse me, I have to run before this angry mob of Thundercracker Marissa
0: Fairborn, shippers gets here.
3: Hey, no, it's okay, guys. I'm one of you. No, really, I am.
0: And, of course, you can catch Jason on a number of his shows, including Paladins of Voltron. Uh He's also got a show called Podvocacy and a show called uh, The Everlasting Minute, where he and his co-host break down the original... Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory film, uh, one minute at a time each episode. And Jason has some great points about how crazy this story is and how it got together. And I think uh, it's interesting to hear how Buzz Dixon and Flint Dilly got together.
1: Actually, the truth is my relation with Buzz goes back literally to the first day in the anime my first day in the animation business, and that was when uh, Joe Ruby hired me and I went into his office and he said, introduced me to Buzz and he said, hi this is Buzz, I want you two guys to work on a on a concept and so we went out to the local coffee shop and Joe told us what he, he wanted us to do and we created a thing called Cyber Force, there's later a product called Cyber Force had nothing to do with this well we thought it was just the most brilliant thing in the world and uh, and uh, really pitched Joe hard, and he just like didn't like the idea. And the next day, he said, "Now you have to understand, you know, it's like you come up with an idea, but you're not supposed to fall in love with it. You just, you know, you just, uh, you know, come up with a bunch of different takes." It was actually great advice.
0: And it's interesting that you know that Dixon and Dilly wrote this together, and you know some of this is totally lifted from that Joe episode, The Games Master. Um, and Dixon himself actually had. The idea for uh, Chumley much earlier on than Transformers, and he explains it here in his own words. Prime Target is is a great example of a character in search of a story. I had come up with a character for an for a comic book called Baron Stegar and the comic book project did not come about. And I just thought, wow, cool character. Where could I use him? So I figured, well, let's let's work him into the Transformers because we couldn't we couldn't work him into GI Joe because we had like 80 some characters in GI Joe. So I figured we'll work we can work a human villain into Transformers. What would a human villain do to the Transformers? And I thought, well, he's a baron, he's kind of arrogant and whatnot. Let's make him a big game hunter. You know, let's have him going after the biggest game of all. That was that was a pretty fun story as I remember. It was not Particularly deep or emotionally complex, but it was a lot of fun to write. And for an episode that was particularly fun to write for Buzz Dixon, uh, there are a lot of little tiebacks to G.I. Joe and some other Sunbow shows. So this episode starts off with an October Guard plane crashing, and that's established in G.I. Joe. They are basically the uh, Soviet version of G.I. Joe. And uh, we later find out, since there's only one female member named Dana... Uh, This was her in the crash plane, which was then stolen by Lord Chumley, which stokes tensions between the U.S. and Russia. We get a number of news reports from Hector Ramirez, which is a spoof of Geraldo Rivera, which around the time of this episode was when Rivera was making a name for himself, uh, unlocking Al Capone's vault. Hint, there was nothing inside. Um, but this is Hector Remers' first appearance in Transformers. He appeared previously in G.I. Joe. He would go on to appear in other Sunbow shows such as Gem and Inhumanoids. At one point in this episode, he interrupts a soap opera called As the Kitchen Sinks, which all of the Autobots are watching. And, you know, for a kid's show, this the soap opera mentions people uh, within the show having an affair.
6: So, you see, my dear, if Donna is having an affair with Gordon, Jack doesn't know that Cheryl hid the real will.
1: We interrupt as the kitchen sinks for this special news bulletin. Oh.
0: When Optimus receives uh, a message from Lord Chumley, Optimus has a switch on Teletran 1 that is marked feedback overload, uh, which then overloads Chumley's computer at his castle. Somehow, Megatron and Starscream are watching this all unfold. And once again, Starscream has become the most observant Transformer in the series.
1: Whoever he is, is brilliant for a flesh creature.
6: Especially since he has done more in two days than you have in two years.
0: Eventually, as Prime makes it to uh, Chumley's castle, he uh, fights a monster and then defeats a cartoon net.
1: You think a simple net is all you need to bag me? You'll have to do better than that, Lord Chumley.
0: He is then promptly defeated by a cartoon net. Only then do the triple changers arrive and they decide to stalk Optimus. Uh, There's a damsel in distress, which Prime decides uh, not to save, knowing it's a trap. And Lord Chumley drops this phrase
1: outsmarted by a lorry.
0: And the reason I included that is uh, he used the word lorry and he's a British character. And, and this that's kind of like the proper use as opposed to the time in the Marvel UK annual where President Reagan, uh, an American, says, I can't believe I'm talking to a lorry, which we discussed back a few episodes ago. Uh, and that is where the booby trap is. Uh, it is the damsel in distress, which eventually catches Blitzwing. Optimus Prime then has to fight a giant robotic scorpion that is piloted by uh, Chumley via remote control before uh, Astrotrain steps in and interferes and uh, is then captured by Chumley, uh, who is annoyed because he wanted to defeat Optimus himself. Optimus uh, then storms the castle because he was left out in the field by the castle. Well not a field, but like a factory area. And uh Bumblebee had sent a distress signal. And on his way to storming the castle, he needs to fight a giant robot spider, just like Superman. Uh Prime wins uh and then ultimately defeats Chumley and his uh butler Dinsmore. Uh, returns the Soviet jet with Chumley tied to it to the Russians and stops a potential war. Uh, So the Cold War thread runs uh, throughout this episode, though it's kind of a weak thread. Uh, It would have been kind of cool to see that played up a little more. Uh, And then one last observation about this episode, Chumley and Dinsmore, it was bothering me as to uh, how, especially how Dinsmore sounds, uh, who they could sound like and who they were. And the more I thought about it, especially since we don't know what Lord Chumley does, we don't know why he's a lord or where he gets his money from and why he's so rich. Um, They're essentially Arthur and Hobson from the 80s films, Arthur and subsequent sequels. And that's just about all the episodes I have for you this week on Transformers University. Of course, if you... Want to reach out to the show, you can catch me on Twitter, twitter.com slash tfu underscore info or at tfu underscore info, Facebook and Instagram. The username is tfu-info. Please swing by our YouTube channel and subscribe, youtube.com slash tfu info. Hitting subscribe really does help out this show and will keep you informed as to uh, some of the other things they do outside of this podcast uh, that are Transformers related and sometimes just silly fun like the, the recent meme of uh, LMF. A.O.'s party rock anthem being set to other songs uh, taking the video and setting it to songs where they dance to something that has the exact same beats per minute. Uh, I actually did that with System of a Down's Chop Suey and Metallica's Orion uh, just fun goofy things and of course there's my Toy Fair coverage there as well. Lastly I mentioned it earlier, patreon.com slash tfu info sign up for as little as $1 you'll get to hear this show at least 24 hours ahead of everyone else Plus, you'll get exclusive podcasts and uh, all sorts of other things that affect this show and some of our other coverage as well. Finally, if you don't want to sign up at Patreon, the other way you can help the show out uh, in a fairly direct manner, swing on by to tfu.info slash Amazon next time you need to buy something off of Amazon. It'll take you straight to Amazon.com, but uh, anything you purchase thereafter, Amazon kicks back a few pennies, literally pennies uh, my way which helps out with the show next time on Transformers University we're going to dive once again into some publishing aspect of Transformers it's not comics though it is the famed books by Lady Bird want to know what those are well you have to come back next week episode 38 of Transformers University till next time see ya